0: and cheers. Hey, thank Greg. Thank Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I work with Callie. She's my graduate assistant and she is amazing. So uh, Greg says it's all Rachel's uh part in making that happen, but I think you had a part in it, too. Well, g- hey, good morning. I hope they're going to turn the lights up for me, because all I see are shadows out there, and I like to see your faces, if you don't mind. Uh, it might keep some of you awake, but it's okay. I need to Ah, there you are. Wow, there's people here. Uh, hey, uh, last week, uh, probably a week ago Thursday, my wife and I uh, went up to Seneca, South Carolina, Lake Hartwell. I don't know if anybody knows that. It's a uh, off 85, my my daughter Molly and her husband, uh, Chris Owen, uh, bought a place up there on the lake and it was a nice weekend for us. But on Thursday, driving up, we've probably hit the pathway around Atlanta about 4.30, 5 o'clock, already see people shaking their heads type of thing. Uh, Outside of Macon, probably halfway to Atlanta, we already got stopped bumper to bumper six different times we stopped for probably about 20 minutes each time, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. I text Jeff and I said, Jeff, now I know what hell is like. And he corrected me on my theology. He said, no, Bill, that's just purgatory. All right, so I guess hell is worth. I don't know what it's like. Maybe it's Orlando, Tampa, Atlanta traffic, all combined together. I don't know, but it was a difficult time. It it helped me in my prayer life because I was saying, Jesus, help, help, help. And and I know about you, maybe you get in those places when you're just really at your wit's end and you're praying to God. I, I... in, in teaching at Southeastern University, a lot of my students are ministry majors. And even that, I, even if they're not that, they go uh, and I know they're going to be a leader somewhere. And if they lead somebody to Christ, they become that person's mentor and discipler. And what I have uh, noticed at times when I have students pray in class, that some like to remind God of who he is. And what I mean by that, they punctuate every sentence with God's name or the Lord or Jesus. You know, Father, I thank you for this food, God. Lord, I thank you for this day, God. Jesus, uh, help me as I drive to work and drive around Atlanta, God, and you know, kind of like that. And uh, I, I correct them on that. And I, I feel bad because I'm correcting somebody's prayer. And, and I, I let them know, I say, look, you're a leader and people are going to look at you, particularly if they're a new believer, and say, well, how do you pray to God? Oh, God is the ancient of days. He probably has a big, long beard and, and uses a walker. So he needs to be reminded who he is. So, uh, you know, we, we have to say God every time we end a sentence and so forth. And I say, you probably don't want to do it because we don't talk like that. Prayer is simply just communicating with God. And we want to be able to communicate on, on, in just a very relational way. So uh, I find that, that students sometimes don't know how to pray or what to pray. And Jesus gives us some models of that. We find that in, in Matthew chapter 6 and, and in Luke as well, where they ask for a model of prayer, and he gives it to them in the Lord's Prayer. And, and it seems to be a template of how to pray. But I, I've also said, you know, there's times that there are prayers in Scripture I mean, Psalms has a lot of prayers. It has a lot of complaints, but it also has a lot of uh, prayers in it. And what God is saying, that times in your prayer, if something is going wrong, like driving around Atlanta, you can pray about that and complain to God, you know, please zap these uh, other cars out of the way and let me go through or something along that line. I don't know if that will happen. It didn't work for me last Thursday, but uh, maybe, you never know, but uh, I, I, I've become intrigued at times when I read in scripture and I read prayers that uh, in, in scripture, they're praying for us. For, for instance, in the book of Ephesians, I find that there's two very two very powerful prayers. One in chapter three, where he, he's talking about God's love. And, and Paul says this, he says, I pray that you might know the height, the depth, the breadth, and width of God's love that surpasses understanding. Now, as I, as I read that, it, it almost seems like an oxymoron. How can I know something that is, surpasses my understanding? But Paul is praying that if we would just grasp more and more of God's love and how big and wide and, and, and long it is, it would probably transform our lives. And, and in chapter one, he does the same thing. In fact, in chapter one of Ephesians, Almost starts out where Paul is just kind of praising God because he's realizing all that God has done for us as as Christ followers, as believers, and, and, and he praises God several times in this particular passage. It, it's not on the screen, all right. So I'm just going to read it to you. I want to take time, but I want you to listen. But if you have your cell phone, you might want to. If you have a Bible app, uh, go to Ephesians chapter one and look at it. I'm going to use the NIV translation, but it says this. First, in in, in verse 2, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's kind of greeting them there. But then he says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every single blessing in Christ Jesus. Now, I got to be honest with you. I was not feeling that last Thursday driving around Atlanta, that I was blessed in the heavenly realms. Where is that? Right? That's like everywhere, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is either lying to us, which I don't think he is, or telling us something that we need to comprehend, that as Christ followers, we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. They're at our disposal. Now, maybe I have to take more advantage of that as I drive around Atlanta. And then he says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That was his goal. And he's got a lot of work to me, to to do in me, particularly when I'm driving around Atlanta and my anger and patience is coming up and so forth. But uh, he wants me to be holy and blameless in his sight, and he's working for that. It says, in love, he predestined us for uh, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. There goes Paul praising again, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we also have redemption through the blood, and we're gonna take up communion today and celebrate that. Redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us, just poured out on us, with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. Basically, he's saying, unity of all things, that God is going to bring back what he originally intended in the Garden of Eden, where there was perfect harmony and love before Adam chose and Eve chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And then in verse 11, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will. God always is working his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Then listen to these two verses, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal. God has stamped us when we become a Christ follower as his. What is that seal? That's the Holy Spirit. He has branded us. He has tattooed us with the Holy promised Holy Spirit, who he also says is a deposit. A down payment guaranteeing our inheritance with the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God, when we become a believer, has given us the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us with him. And he also says, this is my down payment. This is my guarantee that I'm going to fulfill all that I plan for you in this life. I don't think God ever reneges on his down payments. I don't think he ever backs out of the deal. We might back out of the deal, but I don't think God ever does that. But then he goes on in this chapter, and this is really what I want to focus on this morning to do a thanksgiving and prayer. And he says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, now he's addressing the Ephesians here, everything, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, I think because this is scripture, we can also take that and apply it to us as believers that we can, we can, we can enter into this prayer as he's praying for the church at Ephesus. And this is what he prays for. He says, I keep asking, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. We're going to come back and look at that, but that's what he's praying for. And then he says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart, whatever that is, might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the holy people. And then verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I want to go back and look at that prayer, kind of dissect it with you this morning. What is he praying for, and what can we pray if we would choose to pray this prayer? Maybe this needs to become our prayer as well, and understanding who God is, and what he has done for us, and what he is doing for us all the time. I think that's why Paul is so excited in this chapter in giving praise to God. He's realizing all that he has in Christ Jesus. All that God has ordained that he should live in and walk in every single day. I I think if we could dwell on that every single day, we would not worry about things. And we would not be so fearful when we're stuck in traffic or anything else. Because we know that God is for us and he has a bigger plan for his life. So let's look at that that first verse of of this prayer, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That sounds good, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Proverbs tells us we should seek wisdom with all that we have. But not only that, have revelation. God, help me to understand who you are. Give me wisdom and revelation. And then he says, for this reason, so that you may know him better. Now, remember, he's writing to believers, and he's already heard about their faith and their love. They already have a relationship with God. But he's praying, I want that to increase I want you to have more wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better. Let's maybe even add this every single day, every moment of the day. Know who it is that has called us into his family and made us one of his children. Paul says in, in, in the letter to the Romans that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That just what his son is getting, his beloved son, he also gives to us that we might have wisdom and revelation to know him better. Now, why is it important to know him better? Does anybody else ever pray for that in scripture? Well, Jesus does. In John chapter 17, which is the prayer that he gives in the upper room before he's arrested, and goes out into the garden and so forth, and eventually tried and crucified, he, he has some things that he's talking to God about. Sometimes just take the time and read chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. In verse three, he says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, they being disciples. This is his eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Drop down to verses six and seven. He says, I have revealed t- to you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Jesus' purpose in coming was to reveal who the Father was. He was the interpretation of God, John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 18. He was the exegesis of God. And then in verse 19, of this chapter. He says, I not only pray for the disciples, but I pray all those who will come to faith through their witness. That's us. If you're a Christ follower, that includes us. And so in verse 19 in this chapter 17, he's praying for us and he's praying that we might be one. And then in verse 25, he says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. In other words, God wants us to know him more and more every single day. Now, what has he given us? He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us in that. He has given us the scripture that we can read so that we can know him. God wants us to know him. And so this is a great prayer to pray. God, give me wisdom and revelation so that I may know you better because I believe in knowing you better. It's going to transform my life. I'm going to realize who I am as your child, how much you love me, how much you have sacrificed for me, how much you care about me every single moment of the day. The scripture tells us if he cares about the fields and the lilies of the field, how much more he cares about us. Even every one of our hairs is numbered. Wow. He knows me. Some of you have less hair than me. Some of you have more hair than me. And he knows that. Kind of neat. All right. We we might want to count our hairs and see who's on the top and who's on the bottom. I don't know. But he knows that. All right. He loves us. And so he wants us to understand him. So that's the first part of his prayer, that we might have wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. But then he goes on in verse 18. He says, I pray that also that the eyes of your heart, what the heck is the eyes of your heart? My heart is an organ and it's pumping. But he's not talking about this organ. He's talking about metaphorically your heart as being the core of who you are the core of your being. Think about Valentine's Day. You probably give somebody, maybe a child, maybe your sweetheart, you give them a card and it says, you have my heart. You stole my heart. My heart is yours. Now you haven't taken your heart out and given it to them, but it's talking about the core of who you are. So now he's saying, if that core of who you are had eyes, I pray that what? that you might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints. Now, again, they already had the light. These were believers that he's writing to. So he's praying that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened even more. They might know more about him than they have in the past. All right. And he says uh, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, earlier I said in Romans, Paul says that we are joint heirs with Christ. In other words, we have an inheritance in him. But he's not talking about that here. He's talking about God's inheritance in us. God sees us as his children, as his inheritance. Now, what does he see? He sees us becoming the person he intended for us to be. When we are becoming the person that he intended for us to be, when we're walking in our calling, our destiny, as we say at Southeastern, when we're walking in our divine design, what he has planned, we are most fulfilled and most happy. No matter what's going on in our life, we know who we are and we're doing what God has made us, purposed us to do. I used to be a carpenter before I, I became a, a Christ follower. And it was back in the old days where you didn't have you know powerful pneumatic guns, shooting nails type of thing. You just had a hammer. That hammer is really good at pounding nails. That's what it was intended for. I would not suggest eating soup with a hammer. It's just not gonna do the right job. A good tradesman will tell you uh, the right tool for the right job, it's what it's all about when you have the right tool when it's doing it, all right? That that hammer on the other end has a claw, so when you bend a nail, you could pull it out, all right? And, And it serves that purpose. The hammer is not good for putting screws in. You're gonna ruin the purpose if you do that. You need a screwdriver for that. It's not good for turning the bolt. You need a wrench for that. And I I think the hammer is most happy when it's pounding nails. Some of you might want to pound something else. I don't know, but it's most happy when it's pounding nails. The the wrench is most happy when it's turning a bolt. The screwdriver is most happy when it's doing what it's called to do, turning that screw. And and we are most happy when we're doing what God has intended for us to do. And every single one of us has a purpose and a calling and a fulfillment. I look around at some of you that I, I know, and I, 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 I've heard you talk about your fulfillment in your dream and your desire and in, in the ministry that you have somewhere, whether it be in the in religious field or in, in the secular world. It's still your calling, and, and it's what you have to do, and you enjoy doing that, you know? Uh, If God has called you to be a carpenter, well, then be the best carpenter you can be. If God's called you to be the teacher, then be the best teacher that you can be. And and what I have found in that, when you're doing what God has intended for you to do, you are most fulfilled. I I, I always say this, I I, I teach for free. They pay me to grade, because that's the worst part of the job. But I teach for free. That's fun. All the years I served as a provost at Southeastern, I still taught because that reminded me why I do what I do. And it energized me every time I went into the classroom and came out of it and see the impact that teaching has on students. And I I, I thought, God has blessed me by allowing me to do this. It's the old saying that some of you might have heard before, find something you love to do and do it so well that, that actually people will pay you to do it because that's what you're intended to do. You do it whether they pay you or not, but it's nice to get a paycheck as well. You know, kind of puts food on the table, right? And so there are those things, but this is what he's talking about here, and this is what he's praying for. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What is the hope that God has called you to? Are you doing it? Are you fulfilling it? Are you happy in your job? When, when you go to work, is it a dread or is it a joy? You get out of the morning excited about what you have, what God has created for you and what you're intended to do. That's what He wants. And that's His inheritance when we're fulfilling our calling, when we're walking in the purpose that He has designed us for, when we're the solution to the problem that He has created us for. We are most fulfilled. And so Paul is praying that for the church of Ephesus, and we can pray that for ourselves. Nothing wrong finding out what God's will is for your life, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened to that. And then the third thing I see here is in verse 19. He says, and also he's praying for his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he talks about that power. He says it's the power of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And not only raised him from the dead, but seated him up in the heavenly realms far above every power and principality, that he is the Lord of all. That's a lot of power. Now what's interesting about this idea when he says his incomparably great power for us who believe, that word for, that preposition, is really not the most literal translation of this passage. The word that is used here is the word ace in Greek. Epsilon, iota, sigma. And it means into, into. Prepositions express relationship. And if I could draw a circle here, it it might be, a preposition might be away from this. A preposition might be on this circle. Or the preposition might be penetrating into the circle. That's what the word aces. It's going into. So what he is saying here, I want you to know this incomparably great power that is working into you. What is that power? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwelling in us that is working in us. I sometimes think that we forget all about that. That's why Paul is praying this prayer that we might know God better. Because his Holy Spirit is working in us. What does Paul say in Philippians? I can do all things through the one who gives me strength. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit. I have God working in me. So when, when God calls you, he has a plan and he can fulfill it. And it's not an obstacle. It's something that he can do. I can remember uh, going back to college after I became a Christ follower. And I, I remember going through the whole enrollment process and I got to the financial aid director. And he said, Bill, how are you going to pay for this? And I guess I was just stupid enough as a new believer. I said, I don't know. Uh, but I know God has called me here. And he had me sign some papers, probably signing my life away, you know, with bank notes or whatever at that point. But I figured if God called me here, and this is what he intended for me to do, he's going to help me to pay for it in some way. Now, the government hasn't bailed me out with paying off my loans. I've paid them off. All right. But God helped me in those things all the way through graduate school and and so forth. God helped me in those things. I didn't have a lot of money, but God helped me in that. And I I just found that's one way that that God fills in it. Even uh, getting the call 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon, hey, Bill, can you preach? Jeff's going to go to the big church. Pastor Blackburn's going to do it. Man, get down on your knees and start praying, God, help me in this. Because, God, this is your people, and, and you want to feed them. What word do I share with them that's going to feed your people? And this is what God wants in our life to realize that that power is working in us. The same power again that raised Christ from the dead, seated him up in the heavenly realms far above every principality and power. That power is working in us every single moment of the day through his Holy Spirit that dwells in us when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Do we realize that? And when we're going through and having a hard time and wondering how we're going to make it to the next day, do we realize that God is working for us? This is why Paul is so excited in this chapter. And he's praying this prayer. And so I would encourage you to make this prayer a part of your life and realize that, hey, first of all, God has an investment in us. He has an inheritance in us. And I'm telling you, he wants to get that inheritance and he's gonna do all that he can to get that inheritance. And what is that inheritance? Us becoming the persons that he created us to be. To be that hammer, to be that screwdriver, to be that wrench, to be that person, to be that teacher, to be that carpenter, to be that husband, that wife, that young man, that young woman. Whatever it is, God has an investment in us, and he has all the power that we need to make that investment come true because He's God working in us to the praise of His glory, because He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. All right? He has given us as the down payment that He will complete the work that He started in us when we have become a Christ Father. That's our God. That's our God. And just as He said in, in chapter three, I pray that you might know the height, the depth, and the breadth and width of God's love. That needs to be our prayer to understand and know who God is. Why did Jesus come? To make God known, to let us see the love and the care that he has for us, how much he values us. And even when we stumble and fall, he's there to pick us up and wash us clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're entering into this morning with communion, that reminder that he has given his body and his blood for us, that we might be clean in his sight, and walk in the inheritance of the purpose that he has for us. So I I encourage you today to to let this, let chapter 1, particularly these verses 17 through the end of this particular chapter, pray that prayer at times. You get tired of that, go to chapter 3 and pray that prayer about love and understanding there. God, help me to know you better. Help me to realize what I have in you. Help me to realize how much you care for me what you have bought and paid for, what you have put your down payment on and you're going to plead. Help me to realize that I have the Holy Spirit working in me and that's an incredible power to renew me and enable me to become the person that you intended for me to be. So I think you all got communion, all right? Yes, no, if not, I think the guys are walking around and I don't know if I have one or I I drunk it or... All right. I always have trouble, Craig, opening these things, too. I don't know if, you know, 55 years old or something like that, you, you can't open these anymore, and I'm way past 55, so, all right. And I think the worship people are coming. I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting done too early. You don't mind getting there early, do you? Get to the restaurant. You'll beat the Baptists, okay? All right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, It's starting to come. I'm doing good. I mean, I get to perform this service, and here I am fighting with this thing. I'm going to be 10. You got it? Okay, good. Say a younger guy can do it. All right. It started before service. It started. Okay. (laughs) Well, I think most of you know that this little wafer here, it is a strange thing. I wonder what it's made of, but uh, it symbolizes... Christ's body that was given for us, and we're thankful for it. Uh, I'm reminded of the fact that uh, in in Luke chapter 24, Jesus was the resurrected Jesus was walking on the road with two of the disciples, on the road to Emmaus. And uh, they didn't recognize who he was. They almost thought he was unaware of the crucifixion, and they're telling him. And finally, they, they go to eat, and they invite him to eat with them. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And all of a sudden, they realize that Jesus is with them in that moment. I wonder at times that when we look at this bread and we break it, are we aware that Jesus is with us? How? Through the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we're thankful for this bread and we break it and we give it in remembrance of you. Praise you, Lord. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant. It is, because it's not by works that we come into the kingdom. It's by his grace and his sacrifice. And if you're a non-believer, I would say, accept Jesus and take this cup. Take this new covenant, because God loves you and cares for you. So, Father, we're thankful for the blood that was shed for us. Uh, We take it in remembrance of your son and his life that was given for us. And we thank you, Jesus. Let's take it together.